Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders Network. Featuring tales to terrify and the all-new Far-Fetched Fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. This is the Starship Sova, everybody. Welcome, hello, and welcome to show 456. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. We have a great story today with two pieces of great art from professionals, no less. Yes, working right deep in the industry. How cool is that? We've got them on the site, so pop over. These two pictures accompany the story as well. And like I said, they're just from some top quality artists. Today's story is by Gregory Norman Bossett. I'll give you a little kind of heads up about Gregory. This story originally appeared in Unlikely Story. This is written from Gregory's point of view. With the turning of the 21st century, I decided that 20 years of writing computer software was enough. By 2003, I had landed a job as a motion picture researcher for the film Beowulf. My qualification being that I had actually read the original in 1982. <laughs> Man, how easy to get. Not how easy, but you know what I mean? Chances and flukes and luck gets you into that kind of job. That led in time to a job at the legendary visual effects house, Industrial Light and Magic, where last year alone I've worked on Tomorrowland, Jurassic World, Agent Carter, Avengers, Age of Ultron, Ant-Man, The Reverend, Star Wars, The Force Awakens. By 2009, I decided to try my hand at writing. I've had 15 sales so far and I've won the 2013 Fantasy Award for Best Short Story. You can find more about my writing and film work at GregoryNormanBossett.com. And look for two stories at Dark Magazine, the Dark Magazine website, and in Azimov's as well, coming as well. How cool is that? 
So like I say, we've got two bits of artwork that accompany this story, and please pop over to the site and have a look at them. The first one is by Brian Matthias, who is currently working at Telltale Games, and then there's Dermot Powers, who's worked on such films as Star Wars, V for Vendetta, Batman Begins, and apparently is Tim Burton's right-hand illustrator. So pop over to the site... Jeremy's got them on there for you, so you can have a little look at them. And, you know what I mean, top quality, to be quite honest. There we go. This story, is story, da, 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 is narrated by Catherine Inskip. Catherine wears galaxies for a living and builds worlds in her spare time. She's addicted to chocolate and Japanese logic puzzles. Catherine, thank you so much for doing this again. Thank you very much indeed. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present... Two Things About Thran Zandi's Technotech By Gregory Norman Bossert There are two things you do not want to do when walking down the six steel steps and through the access way into Thran Zandi's Technotech. First is carry a weapon. Second is have more cash in pocket than you're willing to spend. If you go in packing, even something like a crypto-ceramic blade, the scanners embedded in the airlock are going to catch you, or Marta's nose for trouble will. Either way, Marta will have you kissing floor before you can raise a hand or an objection. If you go in flush, Zandy will know how much you've got on you, sure as Marta can tell a piece from a pecker at a glance, and Zandy and his techs have more ways to separate you from your stash than there are cheap dives and bam flops in all of New Singapore Space Station. That's why I'd left my hardware, in a locker at Transit Terminal 7, and then had to walk the loop all the way back from Burton Module, because I'd forgotten to add my boot knife to the pile. And that's why I had a credit chip for two million exchange credits in my back pocket, and another 87 creds in cash tucked into my bra. Assuming the drop went down and I got my commission, I could afford to drink and jack my way through the 87 creds. The two million creds weren't mine. They belonged to my employer, Zujenk the Badup. And anyway, I was here to trade them away. I was wearing my new boots, a knee-high mesh of titanium chain and eight-centimetre platforms, so I clunked and clanged down the six steel steps, dragging a quarter again my earth weight. It's no coincidence that Zandi's TNT is down in the outermost ring, where the station spin was heaviest, the plus G helped keep the damage down when the patrons got feisty. Zandi's native gravity was even higher. He might look like a flabby four-foot bullfrog, but he could climb you like a ladder if he had the need. I had need to climb a ladder myself, metaphorically speaking. I was in debt for a lot more than the boots, and Nana Io was threatening to kick me out into the corridors again. I couldn't afford another screw-up. Here's the thing about living on the streets on a space station. There are no streets on a space station. No dumpsters to dive, no alleys to horn, no space to squat that doesn't charge you for every breath. No place you're not on show, and if you look like a burden, you're through an airlock, and maybe there's a shuttle on the other side, and maybe there's just the deep dark. I'd spent next month's air money on those boots, because skinny kid legs are weak, and weak gets you dead. Marta had heard me coming. 
She was waiting in front of the access way, massive tattooed arms folded over massive tattooed chest, cropped grey hair bristling. Halo Shenoi, she said flatly. What brings your skankars down here? Marta and I, we go way back. I laid my second best smile on her. The, wow, hi, nothing here but a bimbo smile. And waved, elbows in, hands at my shoulders. Marta, how's it? I twisted, sidling towards the narrow gap between her shoulders and the doorframe. If you make it too easy for Marta, she gets suspicious. More suspicious, that is. Marta caught me one-handed, fingers around the back of my neck, thumb in the groove over my collarbone, and turned my face toward hers. Her irises had the same titanium sheen as my boots. Contact displays. <laughs> she finally grunted, a blast of onions and ethanol, and gestured with her free hand toward the access way. Let's see what we can see. She kept her grip on my neck as we stepped into the tube. The access way was a three-metre-long cylinder, with massive yellow-and-black-striped emergency seals at each end. Thran Zandi's TNT filled its own separate unit in the web of modules and enclosures that made up New Singapore Station. It was, in fact, a converted mining ship, and the entrance alcove at the far end of the tube was a full-on airlock, though the doors had been wedged open. Cables and hoses were looped along the sides, connecting the bar with the main station power, air and water. I shook my head. Zandi was the DIY sort, but the bribes to the inspectors had to be costing him more than a legit hook-up would. Sensors studded the walls of the airlock, over a bank of monitors. Marta steered me into the centre. I raised my arms, did my own scan of the scene, while the sensors huffed and hummed. The front room had been the storage hold, back when this had been a ship. It was a big room, high ceilings lined with catwalks, a bar of ribbed steel panels against the thirty-metre length of the left wall, tables in the middle, booths wrapped in shadows along the half-cylinder arc on the right that had been the shuttle bay doors. Every exposed surface had been covered with matte-black acoustic panelling. Zandi's customers, as a rule, preferred the lighting low, and the conversations muted. Any stray talk that made it past the panelling would be buried under the scrabbling spider crackle of the Kanae glitch hop that drifted down from overhead speakers. A dozen faces looked up at me as I stood for the scan. Some human, some not, a random assortment of expressions from cautious recognition to studied disinterest. There were a few leers as well, as I shifted my weight against the squirming itch of nanoprobes going where no man had gone before. I clenched my hands middle finger shy of fists and smiled. My third best smile. The look how sharp my teeth are smile. The sensor array beeped, and half a dozen halo shenoys flickered onto the screens, psychedelic false-colour slices through the EM spectrum. I try to avoid being imaged as a rule, but Marta's scanners were worth the trip down just to see what I was giving away. In thermal, skinny stick legs and arms of green fading to blue fingers and toes, hot spots inside elbows and wrists, torso a swirled yellow flame, face a crayon sketch in red and orange, two black spots where my contact displays hide my eyes. 
In the mag scan, I was a trace of white metal on black. The fishnet mesh of the boots, the gleam of rings on fingers and ears, a web of wiring and processing nodes under the skin across my shoulders and up my neck to the solid square jack at the base of my skull. In visual, I was a study in shades of dark, carbon and leather over my own mahogany. My family wasn't the only one to make the leap to New Singapore Station from its Earthside namesake, but no one stationside could dress that heritage like I could. Marta fingered my new earring, a long, curved claw of carbon veined with zirconium. Four curled stubs like the roots of teeth pierced my ear and looped around to blend into the sharp inside edge of the claw. It was one seamless piece, grown in place by nanosculptors. The only way to get it off my ear would be to rip it away, and for a second I could see Marta considering that option. But in the end she shrugged and slapped my back pocket hard enough to sting. Let's have the cred chip, she said. I fished it out. That pocket was tight, proof against pickpockets and accidents in the low G of the upper levels. Marta ran a virus scan. Jackhouses were as worried about malware as they were about physical weapons, and flipped it back to me. Spend it all in one place, she said. I was early, and had those 87 creds to burn, so I headed over to the bar. I had to step over an intestinal tangle of plastic tubing, decompression sensors. Station regs required them to be installed in all modules, as part of the automated warning system, but as usual Zandy was cutting corners and doing the work himself. I stepped carefully. Decomp sensors were notoriously sensitive. With good reason, mind you. New Singapore was prone to leaks. Too many residents like Zandi, I guess, cutting corners. Thran Zandi was behind the bar and as glad to see me as Marta was. Silence comes on clanking claws, darkness under mirrored metal, intent behind shallow smile, he said, a subsonic rumble pitched up to human hearing by a transcoder strapped around his thick stub of a neck. Thran's talked like that, all poetry and insults. They were more humanoid in form than the Badapa, the Kanai, or any of the other dozen races that met and dealt with Earthers on New Singapore Station. Also more annoying. If that sounds xenophobic, well, I put humans even higher on the list of nuisances. How's it, Hefty Z? Me, I've got no intent beyond a drink or two, and a bit of business. That's a new hat? One on the left, I mean. Thrans have a globular bulge over each eye, and Zandi liked to wear something on each, between the rows of tiny ear fronds that fringed his skull. Today he had a tractor cap on the right side, a spaceship and sickle logo, and Novo Karlingrad Collective in Cyrillic. On the left was what looked like Scottish tweed. Gift from Grateful Golfer, spun from Shavered Shepherds, drinks he down, delighted, Creds he counted, clearly. That last was a poke at me, so I pulled out the 87 in cash, flipped through it, whistling. I thought of green cuckoo clocks. I was trying out a new set of neural cues, and the time overlay popped up in my lenses, digits superimposed over Zandy's lumpy grey-green face. I was twenty minutes early for the drop. I'll take a bottle of Baiju and a ten-minute flip forward, and I think you mean sheep, not shepherds? 
Zandy frowned at me with one eye. The other tracked the waitron as she swiped a credit chip and counted out change. She was a redhead, round and freckled, crammed into a low-cut red vinyl mini-dress that ought to have clashed with her hair, but didn't. An active tattoo of a snake writhed and spiralled up her right arm and peeked out at me from her cleavage. I leaned over to get a better angle and caught her scent, jasmine and antiseptic soap. I added both my eyes to Zandi's one as she sashayed herself back towards the booths. The chain wrapped around her left ankle jangled as she walked. "'New girl?' I asked. "'Nelly named, one week's working, Jack's jump jingling, creds come clattering, parties prompt paying,' he said, and added a word in Thran that sounded like a ten-kilo weight hitting the floor. "'That was another dig at me.' I'd left in a bit of a hurry last time I was down here and left my tab hanging. Zandy claimed it was thirty-eight creds and change. I snapped my fingers at him. Smiles were useless on Thrands, but they have a thing for human fingers, and went to work. Five minutes of negotiation and I had him down to thirty, flat on the promise of bringing business into the bar, and got a double shot of the booze and a flip forward for another ten. That's what I do. Make deals happen when the parties involved don't see eye-to-eye, or eye-to-eye stalk, or eye-stalk to century spores, which the Kanai insisted on sneezing at you even though they were fluent in eleven variants of sign language and spoke English with a vaguely Swedish accent. That's what I had over my planet-born station mates. They still lived in their own worlds. I was from here, where those worlds collide, could dance between them with my boots and my smiles. The sort of courier gig I was doing today was beneath me, is what I thought, but better that than beneath some sweaty earther in a flop. Better than taking the long walk outside. Zandi blinked and got the distant stare of someone reading off their lenses. Thrand eyes are close enough to human that they can use our lens tech off the shelf. Network null. Connection cracked. Self is same? I thought the big blue lowercase eye for net search. The overlay in my lenses just spun. No connection. Ditto for the news feeds, the station map, even the emergency channel. Your wireless is wedged, Z, I said. He grunted something in Thrand I didn't catch, then stomped his squat body off towards the back rooms where they keep the serious jacking rigs and the sensory chambers, and those gelatin baths for which the Badapa would drop a week's wages. I settled into a booth in Nelly's section, and slammed the shot of Baiju. Johnny G was playing some sort of card game at one of the tables with Thran Navara, and a tall, blue-tinged Badap who had a Hello-My-Name-Is-Yeska tag stuck between two of its shoulder blades. They all looked my way, so I gave them the number three smile until they got the point and went back to their game. Then I looped up my hair with a band from my wrist, found the edge of the jack with the tips of my fingers, and jacked the flip-forward chip. If you've never done a flip-forward, well, you're more patient than I am. What it does is pushes your sense of time even more subjective than normal. Anything that seems boring flashes past at double or triple real time. Anything that catches your eye, however, hangs like a series of still frames. Beginners tend to get stuck on random details, bits of passing anatomy as a rule. But with practice, 
which is to say a lot of time spent in jack joints waiting for your contact to arrive, you can train yourself to look for particular elements. In this case, I was looking for anyone who looked like Fujiwara-san and party of Kyoto Earth, and or anyone who would want to stick their noses into the business of the same. What I was getting, mostly, were newbie-grade shots of Nelly the new waitron strutting her stuff to and from the bar while fending off the advances of Johnny G and his Badapa friend. That snakehead tattooed between her freckled breasts seemed to be watching me, and once, in the hung frame of the flip, I swear its bulging eyes twinkled. This was not exactly the mission-critical information I was hoping for. Sometimes I just do not get my own hindbrain, but it did kill ten minutes easily enough. Whether Nelly was worth the eyeball time or not, however, she was certainly moving the drink, so I gave her the number two smile and a hey, ignore those scumbags and get me a drink wave. She was doing the waitron thing, though, avoiding catching my eye with a precision that defied statistical probability. I had just gotten up to head to the bar when Marta stepped in and pointed a finger and a glare my way. Three men came through the hatch behind her, tracked her finger over to me. They were younger and larger than I was expecting. I straightened a bra strap and smoothed the hem of my skirt down against my thighs, motions that would have let me check that my weapons were all within reach if they hadn't been stacked in the locker in Terminal 7. I was feeling a bit in and unsecure. Not my usual chill, but then again, jacking does literally mess with your brain. Fujiwara-san and party wove their way through the tables to me. Their shuffling steps in the plus G and their sideways glances at the alien clientele would have pegged them as straight off the shuttle, even if they hadn't been carrying a shielded case with a shuttle tag still attached. I stayed standing and pondered which smile to loose upon them. Close up, the guy in the lead still looked younger than I was expecting. That, or he had one hell of a medical plan. His black suit was made of tiny scales of carbon like snakeskin. Active tats writhed at the edges of his cuffs and collar. He looked Japanese, at least. The two dragging themselves behind him were Slavic, maybe, rippling with modded muscle and nervous energy. Fujiwara-san, I said with a hint of a question and a bow just a touch less deep than I would have if he'd looked more like a respected representative of the Saito Zaibatsu, and less like a punk. He squinted at me through opaque lenses and proffered his station visa. If he bowed, it was too subtle for me, and that took some doing. Halogen Shenoy. I nodded, and didn't bother with the, my friends call me Halo. He pulled a pinky-sized cylinder out of his pocket, pointed it towards my face. I will need a retinal scan. His Japanese had slight accents. Spanish, maybe. Lots of Yakuza are out of Peru these days, but not usually Saito material. Certainly not if he was always this rude. Dozo, is what I said, though, and stared into the flash of light. The portable scanner strobed to itself for a few seconds. If Zandi hadn't got the wireless back up, then this was going to be a short meeting. But the scanner flickered and Fujiwara nodded. Your turn, I said, and stepped in close, real close. He pulled his head back and the two big guys stiffened, leaned forward. 
I tapped my temple and gave them the number three smile. Got a scanner built into my lenses. Even from a hand span away, Fujiwara's lenses were opaque, a glossy black that covered the iris and most of the white. You're going to have to pull a lens, I said. Of course, he said with his own sharp-toothed smile. He pinched the lens from his right eye, sleeve falling back to reveal a twitching tattooed tail around his right wrist, and leaned forward, eye to eye, almost touching noses. His breath smelled like mouthwash and last night's booze, and under that a waft of something floral off his fingers. His eye was bloodshot, and almost solid red. Must have been some party, I thought, and called up the scanner overlay. His retina matched the station visa, but I double-checked against Zujenk's database. The overlay spun and glitched like a migraine. I was just turning to complain to Zandi about the wireless when it finally flashed a confirmation. I fished the credit chip out of my pocket, spun it in my fingers and tilted my head toward the booth. Fujiwara made a show of putting his contact display back in. An awkward pause as we stood there, each waiting for the other to slide to the inside. We finally came to a tacit compromise. Fujiwara slid in on one side and I on the other, with one of his men next to him and one next to me. He placed the case on the table, latches towards me, and I set the credit chip on top. He jacked the chip into the portable scanner instead of his skulljack. A cautious man was Fujiwara-san. I opened the case, which held rows of thumb drives. They were labelled as Badapa translators, but were certainly something else given my boss. Zujenk the Badap was likely to speak his own language. Whatever it really was, I didn't need to know. All I needed was to match the serial numbers and get this deal done. I blinked up a barcode overlay and scanned the drives, sent the codes off to the remote node Zujank had provided. The connect was even slower this time, the overlay skewed and stuttering, but after an eye-chattering minute or two, the codes came back confirmed. I could see Fujiwara's patient black gaze through my overlay, but I kept the vacant, lensing look on my face while I considered the situation. Maybe it was the flip forward and the plus G, and the wireless glitches and Nelly the Redhead's stupid snake tat, but there was something that smelled off about the whole evening. I reconsidered Rule 2 of Thran Zandi's Technotech, and decided that even though the two million credits wasn't mine and I was here to give it away, I was not nonetheless willing to lose it. When in doubt, and in a bar, order drinks. I proposed a round of baiju. Fujiwara-san declined with a frown and a slow shake of his head, so I unleashed my number one smile. The one that says, I know something and you really want to know what it is, and said, I understand, you're tired and the FTL jump really takes it out of you. You head on, get some rest. I'll have a glass or two for you. It was a matter of face now man against woman, and him in front of his flunkies. So, of course, he made a show of considering and said, A toast to celebrate our successful business would be in order. He raised his hand, and of course this time Nelly noticed from across the room and started over. So I hopped up onto the seat and stepped over the flunky blocking me in. Gotta watch Zandy poor, otherwise he gives you the cheap stuff, I said. I smacked Johnny G on the head on the way to the bar. 
Ow, he said and slicked his hair back down. I was down to 47 credits, so I was going to end up with the cheap stuff anyway. The thing about cheap baiju, though, is that it is around 70% pure ethanol, which covers up any number of faults. In this case, it entirely obscured the fact that half the 20 cred bottle I brought back was in fact Kanae Kroong, a mix of hydrocarbons and enzymes that is a mild euphoric to Kanae and an astonishingly fast-acting diuretic to us humans. A favourite late-night game at Zandy's was one-for-one shots of Kroong without leaving your bar stool. The loser paid for the shots and the clean-up. I never lost. Back at the table, I juggled glasses and smiled until the flunky on my side got the hint and slid in. Amateur. He and his twin were, however, clueful enough to refuse a drink. I poured for Fujiwara-san and myself, showing off by holding the bottle high and letting the Coriolis forces bend the stream of booze. Fujiwara was profoundly unimpressed. I let him pick the cup, raised the other with a kampai, and drained it. He smiled then, thinly, and drained his own, managed to hold the smile and not shudder, for which I gave him a grudging measure of respect. I poured another shot for each of us, and blathered about the station, and one minute thirty-two seconds later, Fujiwara-san got a look of sudden concentration on his face. "'You will excuse me,' he said, and gave the flunky on his side a nudge of with his shoulder. The flunky stood up, and Fujiwara slid out, bit his lip, and headed towards the toilet sign in the back, stumbling a bit from gravity and desperation. "'Me too,' I said with a bimbo smile, as I hooked the case with a finger and stood. The flunkies looked like they wanted to object, but the credit chip was in Fujiwara's pocket, and anyway I was already moving in the opposite direction from Fujiwara, towards the access way. That was the only exit, yet another violation of station regs, and if something went sideways I wanted to be between Fujiwara and the getaway. Marta was leaning at the edge of the airlock, watching me cross the bar, so she had plenty of time to work up a suspicious glare for me. Marta, I said, do me a favour? She doubled down on the glare. The urge to smile my smiles up into that doubt was overwhelming. I didn't, though, because Marta's the one person I know who can see through me, scanners or no. So I took the big risk the one that can do you in a place like Thran Zandi's Technotech, and said, Please? She sucked her teeth, glanced over my shoulder towards the flunkies in the booth, looked back at me with an eyebrow raised. My associate there, the head honcho, can I see his scan? Marta looked up and drew in a breath, so I added, Something's not chill here. Come on, you gotta feel it. She got that glare back. Better to stop it now than let it get out of hand, I said. Better to let it get out of here, she replied. It'll get lost, I said, and shook the case at her. The drives inside rattled. Damn things didn't even fit into the case right. And I don't have another one to lose. She stopped then and looked me in the eye. We both looked down a few seconds later, but then she nodded and gestured me into the airlock, tapped on the console. 
Magrez showed the normal jumble of wire under the skin of his back and neck. Nanoscan showed no unusual chemical signatures. Thermal was the usual smeared rainbow of reds and oranges, and... Head honcho, I said. I should listen to myself more often, seeing the thermal on his face. Marta gave me a funny look and thumbed the display. Zoomed up, his head was a fat red pear. Black holes where his oversized contacts blocked the scan. Rotate it, I said, made a twisting motion with my fingers, back and forth. Marta slid her fingertips on the display and the image turned, revealing one hot yellow eye and then the other. I heard her get it, a little hiss under her breath. His eyes, she said. Different sizes, I said. No wonder he's got those contacts in. I'll bet they aren't even the same colour. Wherever the real Fujiwara-san was, he was staring out at his final destination with one eye. All that was, of course, unfortunate for the Saito Zaibatsu. But my job was to exchange the two million credits for the case of drives, and as long as the latter was legit, my work here was done. But eyes hung framed in my mind, glittering black eyes. Not Fujiwara's. These were small, beady. Snake eyes. Marta, you have what's-her-face, the redhead? She stared at me. The waitron, Nelly, I said. You have Nelly's scan from this morning? Marta shook her head slowly, still not following me and beginning to look like she didn't want to do so. She opened this morning, said she wanted to give Zandi and me a chance to sleep in for once. Snake eyes, and my hind brain had been hung up on them because they were the one element of that Axiv tattoo that was not moving. The image from the flip forward was as clear in my head as those on Marta's screens. Snake eyes peering out her cleavage, seeming to follow me as she moved, gleaming in the light, because they stuck out. They were studs, embedded in her chest, and I'd bet Fujiwara's one remaining eye that they were the antenna for a wireless jammer and a local area transmitter. I flicked through my neural cues. Nothing worked. Not even the police channel. Marta, can you connect to the net? She shook her head. It's been out for hours. Zandi's still trying to figure it out. Son of a bitch. The glitches when I checked the barcodes. The scent of jasmine on faux Fujiwara's fingers. I looked at Marta. Nelly's overriding the net. They intercepted the barcode check on the thumb drives. It's a fucking scam. Marta looked up at the power cable slung along the ceiling, blew out a breath. You brought this garbage in here, she said. You pack it out again. She's your damn employee, I started, but out of the corner of my eye I saw black. Faux Fujiwara was out of the bathroom, headed this way, and the flunkies were getting up. They were closer to Faux Fujiwara, but they had tables in their way, and the unfamiliar plus G. I had a straight shot, so I went for it, moving fast, but trying to look casual, just a girl headed for the toilet. That wasn't hard to fake. The croong had kicked in, and my bladder was bursting, but that would have to wait until after I had my arm around Faux Fujiwara's scrawny neck. I tried my bimbo smile. 
but I must have blown it, or maybe it was Marta clomping in beside me with a scowl at Nelly, because the redhead shouted something, and Fofujiwara and the flunkies all made the same gesture, hands in front of face, a neural cue, and then my eyes melted out of my head. Not literally, as it turned out, though the sensation was uncannily realistic. My lenses had gone black, and my entire neural implant from shoulders to skulljack to temples felt like it was on fire. Some sort of attack vector, broadcasting full power on all channels. Nelly must have an entire damn comms unit embedded in her chest. I tried to pull the lenses out, but my hands were spasming with the pain. I jammed my thumb into my eye twice, pain on pain, and a nasty squish, and then I had to squat down and scream for a few seconds, just to clear my head. I could hear Marta beside me, alternating little grunts and a grumble of finish. Johnny G was swearing somewhere to my right in a high-pitched whine. Zandy was a rumble like an earthquake from somewhere to my left. I tried to concentrate on the latter, maybe get to the bar, find something to use as a weapon— a broken bottle, or one of those little toothpick umbrellas. But I wasn't actually breathing, and a deeper blackness was flooding up from somewhere at the base of my skull. I put my hands on either side of my head and managed to get in a breath, then screamed it right out again, the rings on my fingers jangling against the little ones down the back of my ears, the sharp, wicked curve of my new nano-sculpted earring cutting into my palm, and I didn't even hesitate, just kept screaming and ripped that thing straight out of my ear, the roots popping one, two, three, four out of the lobe. I swung the earring in front of me, hoping to cut down Nelly and the flunkies with one blow. I fell over onto my side instead. I felt like I was going to keep falling forever. I was losing it. The credit chip, the case, the commission, the chance. If I lived, Zujenk and Marta were going to be fighting over who got to kill me first. Probably the sight of Zaibatsu would want a piece too. Not that that was my fault. Damn Fujiwara anyway, his eye offendeth me, though wrong order, it had been plucked out first. Huh, I thought in the dark. I reached back. "'steadied one shaking hand with another, "'got the point of the earring under the skin "'close as I could get to the jack at the base of my skull, "'pushed in, twisted the carbon claw sharp side out, and pried. "'I'd have screamed, if I wasn't already doing so. "'The edge sliced through the wires that linked the jack "'to the power supply and antenna under my shoulders, "'the optical feeds, some hopefully non-vital muscle, "'veins, tendon, fat, etc., and back out through the skin.' The pain stopped. The induced pain from the implants, anyway, though my ear and the back of my neck were searing lines of agony. The contact displays didn't clear, so I took a deep breath, rolled onto my back and popped the lenses out. The neural attack had seemed to go on for minutes, but Nelly and Fujiwara and the flunkies had barely moved. Nelly was looking straight at me and opening her mouth when Johnny G let out a wild screech and staggered to his feet. He'd gotten one lens out, scratches across his cheek, and he grabbed a bottle off the table and swung at a flunky. The bottle bounced off the flunky's head with a dull clunk and spun out of Johnny's grasp. The flunky blinked, threw a hand out and punched Johnny in the throat. He went back first onto the table, spraying blood and obscenities. Nelly had turned to track the action, so I moved, got onto my knees, one hand on Marta's shoulder, and hold still into her ear, 
Then I found the bulge of wire on the back of her neck and sliced. Marta didn't even flinch. She just said, So, and stood, fumbled the lenses from her eyes. She spared me a quick glare. Then she reached back over her shoulder, fingers fumbling at her blood-soaked collar, and pulled out a pair of crypto-ceramic blades, sent them towards Fo Fujiwara. The blades flew true. One full flip hit Fo Fujiwara in the chest and bounced. That slick, carbon-scaled suit he was wearing wasn't just well-tailored. It was armour. Fujiwara was fast, and not reeling like we were from the neural attack. He grabbed one of the blades mid-bounce and sent it back at Marta. He'd have hit her in the heart, too, if he hadn't been thrown off by the station spin. Coriolis' effect pushed the knife a few inches too far to the right for a kill, though Marta still went down hard. I dove toward the bar, and there was a shadow and a gust of wind and a sense of something massive overhead. Zandi had cleared the bar and myself in one leap, going for Marta, earfronds erect, navigating by sound alone despite the chaos. Fo Fujiwara beat him there with a second blade, had the point on Zandi's contact display by the time the Thrand had thudded to a stop. He said something in soft Spanish. I couldn't catch it over the damn music and the screaming and Zandi raised his stubby hands, trembling with the pain of the neural attack. I rolled and sat up, fumbling at my lap, the floor on either side, searching. I dropped the earring. Fucking mess, Nelly said in Japanese. We got a blow, boss, one of the flunkies said. Get back to the shuttle and off this damn station. Where's the case with the dummy drives? Fo Fujiwara asked. That was a good question. I must have dropped it when the neural attack started. Forget it, we've got the real ones, Nelly said. You got the credit chip? Fo Fujiwara nodded. Then Max is right, let's go. What about Thran Keru here and these two psycho pooters? Often? Max suggested and shrugged when Nelly glared at him. No more mess, Nelly said. Lock them in the supply room. The key's behind the bar. Well, get it for fuck's sake, Fo Fujiwara replied and gestured with his chin, knife hand not wavering from its aim on Zandi's huge left eye. You heard her, Froggy. In you go. You get them. That last comment was to the flunkies. They were standing over Johnny's still flailing form. The big one, Max, looked over at me, headed my way as Zandi and Fujiwara backed slowly towards the storage room. I crawled back to Marta got my arms under her shoulders and dragged her toward the end of the bar. There was an absurd moment of slow-motion chase as I tugged and Max sauntered. He finally laughed and said, "'Go ahead, babe, I'll give the two of you a five-second head start.' I made up a whole new smile, right there on the spot, a mix of desperation and anger and a deep, deep delight at my own cleverness, because Marta had opened her eyes and looked up at me and I had a plan." Oxygen, I said, and fell backwards. Marta huffed in pain as she hit the floor. I reached up over my head, found the tangle of tubes at the end of the bar and pulled, dragged the entire tangle over my head and onto my chest. The flunky had reached us, so I got on my hands and knees, shouldered him out of the way and wedged the end of a tube into Marta's mouth. She needs oxygen, I gasped again over my shoulder at the flunky. She's not going to need nothing, Max said, and made a show of cracking his knuckles. 
I ducked down, head to Marta's head. The hell is this? she asked around the mouthful of tubing. Sandy's half-assed decompression sensor, I whispered. I give the signal you suck like it's Sandy. She grunted. Sandy got nothing to suck on, she said. That was a revelation that would have to wait for another day. Max had his hand on my shoulder, was pulling me up. Shit, man, I'm dying, I said, and held up a bloody hand. I finally let loose my agonised, bloated bladder. My sigh of relief made a pretty convincing last gasp, I thought. Max jumped backward with a curse, and I fumbled with the tubes. It took three or four seconds to find an end, but Max was looking down at his drenched shoes. I bit down, caught Marta's eye, nodded a downbeat. We sucked. If Zandi had ever gotten around to installing the decompression sensors to station regs, the tubing would have been inset at strategic spots throughout the bar and protected from tampering. A sudden simultaneous pressure drop in two or more of them would signal a leak and trigger the appropriate response. That's what I hoped, anyway, and sucked hard. A whoop-whoop-whoop of alarms then, and even though I had triggered it, it stopped me cold for a second. That sound is drilled into the nightmares of everyone who lives stationside. Even the customers still writhing in the pain of the neural attacks stopped screaming and lifted their heads, faces slack with terror. Explosive decompression, that alarm meant. Certain deaths, or not depending on where you were relative to the leak in the nearest seal. There was no leak, of course, but there were two massive seals, one at each end of the access way outside the old airlock, and they both slammed shut simultaneously, locking us in, and severing the power cables that fed the Technotech. Darkness again, but this time we were all in it together. Max was somewhere in front of me, on the other side of Marta, there was a heavy thud from that direction. But behind me I heard a jingle and caught a whiff of jasmine. Nelly. I fumbled in front of me for something I could use as a weapon and found the great curve of one of Marta's breasts. I traced the bloody mess of her collar, hoping for another ceramic blade. She'd been smarter than me. She had had a backup. All I found now, though, was the knife sticking up from her sternum. It didn't feel like it had gone too deep. Maybe pulling it wouldn't do too much more damage, or maybe that was just wishful thinking. Either way, I needed the edge. Smiles weren't going to cut it, not in the dark. I wrapped my fingers around the hilt. But something grabbed my arm, something hard and claw-tipped. Marta's hand with my earring caught between two fingers. Maybe she was my backup, she and Zandi. That was yet another thought for another day. Right now I had some hard work to do which meant taking the offered earring and rolling backward until I ran up against Nellie's soft-scented legs. I grabbed the chain around her ankle and reached up with the other hand, fingers running over the slick vinyl of her dress, the velvet notch of cleavage, to find the cold, hard stubs of the transmitter embedded in her chest. Nellie snarled something in Japanese, flailed out with sharp fingernails and caught my jaw, but I got one knee under me and planted the claw right between those snake eyes. Nellie shrieked, a high-pitched squeal like Nana Io's tea kettle. No human should be able to make that sound. Sparks erupted from her chest, lighting her face in a series of strobe flashes, burning my fingers and face. I blinked the sparks out of my eyes and held on to her as long as I could. 
There was a chorus of gasps in the darkness from one side of the room to the other, as the neural attack and the jamming stopped simultaneously. A flurry of movement as everyone's overlays came online. Everyone's but mine and Marta's, of course. Someone, I thought, someone has to have night vision or a map overlay of the bar itself. And of course, Zandi did. He shouted something, a roar like a rocket starting up, and there was a crunch and one last scream. There were a few moments of chaos after that. A shout in Russian suddenly cut short, and a thudding from the bar. A light flicked on. Zandi was standing over us, holding a flashlight in one hand, Marta's ceramic blade, and a handful of what looked like pretzel sticks in the other. Zandi stepped over Marta to check the flunky, but he was down. Marta, still flat on her back with the pressure sensor in her mouth, had snagged him by the ankle, and his knee now bent the wrong way. Zandi knelt down, dropped the light and the knife and the pretzels, and cradled Marta's head in his lap. I picked up a pretzel, realised it was one of Fo Fujiwara's fingers, gently put it down again. I closed my eyes, but I'd had enough of the dark for a while, so I picked up the knife instead and the flashlight, turned it on Nelly. She was staring up at the ceiling and way past it. Her chest had blown out, and the hole was still smoking. Whoever had implanted the comm gear in her ribcage hadn't bothered with safeties. I guess it was what she could afford. Her eyes glittered in the beam of light like the eyes of her snake. I wanted to tell her that, well, it's none of your business. After a while, Marta coughed, tried to say something, and I turned my head so she couldn't see my face. Yeah, I know, I said. Bit should have known. First thing you do not want to do, bring a weapon into Thran Zandi's Technotech. Zandi rumbled and stroked Marta's cheek with thick, clumsy thumbs. I got to my feet, pulled up my boots. Fofujiwara was on the ground somewhere back there and the credit chip for two million exchange credits. But that was priority one before the station crews got here and popped the decomp seals. And after that, there was a case of thumb drives to track down, the real ones from the Saito Zaibatsu, and a deal to make. That's what I do, make deals. I looked at Marta and Zandi then, maybe to keep from looking at Nellie's body. Maybe, I guess, to see what they'd see in me. Marta was glaring up from Zandi's lap. She looked pretty good, considering. In fact, she looked like she was wondering who was going to pay for all of this. I was going to have to think twice about walking into here with any money at all for a bit. Then again, I said and tried on a smile. Looks like I'm walking out of here and damn me if I don't still have 27 creds on me in. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cash. Clever con confounded. Nelly not noticed. Yeah, well, I caught her. I snapped and took a deep breath. Okay, we caught her. It felt strange to say that, like taking another risk in the dark. 
but I guess it made it all a bit better. Scanner-scammed scheme, Zandi finished pointedly. Marta gritted down on her glare and reached out a hand. I sighed and looked up into the darkness, down at the glitter of my boots in the flashlight beam. And then I dropped the creds into her hand. Two things about Thran Zandi's Technotech, I said. Marta gave me her own big, beautiful smile. Hey, don't forget, copyright is Gregory's Greg. Thank you so much for that. Good luck. Well, you don't need good luck when you're winning the World Fantasy Award. Do you know what I mean? Well done, sir. And for everyone who put up the odd, Brian and Dermot, thank you so much for that. And Catherine. Catherine, Catherine, Catherine. Thank you once again, Catherine. <laughs> Listen, before I go and shoot off, and shoot off to the allotment, get some honest graft insiders. Do, I'm going to put a link on this week's website. So if you're looking on your phone, you'll see it there. Subscribe to me videos on YouTube. Like, see, I'm just doing like a vlog there now, but it's it's quite nice and I'm getting some nice comments. And it'd be nice to see you over there. Do you know what I mean? They're just, they're just like five, ten minute ones. Do you know what I mean? But it would be uh, be nice to see you and I would, I would appreciate it. You know, and leave some comments. Do you know what I mean? Because just talk, can't I? I just talk for myself. I like to hear things from from you so please do that that is it thank you so much until next time just like to say good night from me will our heroes survive this terrible ordeal can they win through with their integrity unscathed can they escape without completely compromising their honor and artistic judgment tune in next week for the next exciting installment of Shuttle set for launch. Airlock will be opened in three, two, one. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website www.districtofwonders.com Thank you for listening.